Let's uh, turn on our Bibles to uh, our sermon passage for today. Joshua 24, 14 to 16. sermon is entitled, The Great Duty of Family and Religion. I believe it is being adapted from, or basically just read from George Whitfield. This is a couple hundred-year-old sermon, um, but timeless. The truths uh, are unchangeable, so um, let's read this passage here. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve, to serve other gods. Send the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Please be seated. sermon by the late George Whitfield, and we'll be therefore edified by the preaching and upholding of a qualified elder and under shepherd of Christ in the absence of our elders who are not exactly absent, but have still taken it upon themselves to come today, which is awesome. George Whitfield, if you are unaware, was a famous evangelist and preacher who lived between uh, 1714 and 1770. We'll see some older language in the text, and particularly there's a difference in the sentence structure that I believe we can overcome and understand while we're listening. It's not too bad. There are also some reference to fathers as the governors of the household, and part of the reason this is the case is because Whitfield lived at a time of slavery, and as you will see, Whitfield believed that servants were to be treated as part of the household of the believer, being taught with the same care as the children of the household should be taught, not only being paid physical wages for their work, but also spiritual wages. So just keep that in mind as we move forward. But we'll begin our time in prayer, and then we'll read the sermon. Would you bow your heads with me and we'll pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the multitude of blessings that you have bestowed on us. Particularly, thank you for the blessing of the under-shepherds of Christ that belong to this church. The elders to whom you have set over our congregation teach, admonish, exhort, bringing sound doctrine, and teaching to our hearts, minds, souls, with the sheep through your holy scriptures. And following in the command of Jesus to Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. I pray for their speedy recovery and for this to be a time of rest and recuperation for them, and a sign that our church may in difficult times continue to move forward, even by standing on the shoulders of the under shepherds of old, as we will do today in the reading of one of their sermons. May you be glorified in us, may we be edified in you. Open our eyes, ears, minds, hearts to your ways, and may we live a life that represents that truth. May your word go forward, 
May your gospel take dominion in the hearts of men. May your purposes continue unimpeded, and despite sickness and calamity, may our fathers and mothers here today take care to learn the art and blessing of family worship. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Lord, and Master. Amen. So the title of our sermon today is The Great Duty of Family Religion. And as we already read from Joshua 24, 15, um, the, the main verse of the sermon is, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. These words contain the holy resolution of pious Joshua, who having in most moving, affectionate discourse, recounted the Israelites what great things God had done for them. In the verse immediately going before the text comes to draw a proper inference from what we had been delivering, and acquaints them in the most pressing terms that since God has been so exceeding gracious to them, they could do no less out of gratitude for such uncommon favors and mercies, dedicate both themselves and families to his service. Now, therefore, says he, in verse 14, Fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood. And by the same engaging motive does the prophet Samuel afterwards enforce their obedience to the commandments of God. 1 Samuel 12, 24, Only fear the Lord, and serve him in truth, with all your heart. For consider, says he, how great things he hath done for you. But then, that he might not excuse themselves, as many might be apt to do, as too many might be apt to do, apologize, by his giving them a bad example, or think he was laying heavy burdens upon them, whilst he himself touched them not with one of his fingers, he tells them in the verse out of which the text is taken, that whatever regard they might pay to doctrine he had been preaching, yet he, as well as a minister, ought to do it. He was resolved to live up to practice it himself. He says, Chose you, therefore, says he, whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A resolution, this worthy of Joshua, and no less becoming, no less necessary for every true son of Joshua, that is entrusted with the care and government of a family in our day, and if it was ever seasonable for ministers to preach up or people to put in practice family religion, it was more, never more so than in the present age, since it is greatly to be feared that out of those many households that call themselves Christians, there are but few that serve God in their respective families as they ought. It is true indeed. Visit our churches, and you may perhaps see something of the form of godliness still subsisting among us, but even that is scarcely be met with in private. So that were the blessed angels to come, as in the patriarchal age, and observe our economy at home, would they not be tempted to say, as Abraham said to Abimelech, Surely the fear of God is not in this place. Genesis 20:11. How such a general neglect of family religion first began to overspread the Christian world is difficult to determine. As for the primitive Christians, I am positive it was not so with them. No, they had not so learned Christ as falsely to imagine that religion was to be confined solely to their assemblies for public worship, but on the contrary, behaved with such piety and exemplary holiness in their private families that St. Paul often styles their house as a church. Salute such a one, says he, and the church which is in 
house. And I believe we must forever despair of seeing a primitive spirit of piety revived in our world. Till we are so happy as to see a revival of primitive family religion and persons unanimously resolving with good old Joshua in the words of the text, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. From which words I shall begin to leave, sorry, from which words I shall beg leave to insist on these three things. First, that it is the duty of every governor of a family to take care that not only he himself, but also that those committed to his charge serve the Lord. Secondly, I shall endeavor to shew after the manner a governor and his household ought to serve the Lord. Thirdly and lastly, I shall offer some motives in order to excite all governors with their respective households to serve the Lord in a manner that shall be recommended. First, I am to show that it is the duty of every governor of a family to take care that not only he himself, but also that those committed to his charge should serve the Lord. And this will appear if we consider that every governor of a family ought to look And it will appear, if we consider, that every governor of a family ought to look upon himself as obliged to act in three capacities, as a prophet to instruct, as a priest to pray for and with, as a king to govern and direct, and provide for them. It is true indeed that the latter of these, namely their kingly office, are not so frequently uh, utilized. Nay, it is in, the, in this they are generally too solicitous. They utilize it much too much. But as for the former two, namely their priestly and prophetic office, like Elio, they care for no such things. But however indifferent some governors may be about it, yet they may be assured that God will require due discharge of these offices at their hands. For it is as the apostle argues, he that does not provide for his house in temporal things has denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. To what greater degree of apostasy must he have arrived who takes no thought to provide for the spiritual welfare of his family? But farther, persons are generally liberal of their invectives against the clergy and think they justly blame the conduct of that minister who does not take heed to watch over the flock of which the Holy Ghost has made him overseer, but may not every governor of a family be in a lower degree liable to the same censure who takes no thought for the souls that are committed to his charge. For every house is, as it were, a little parish. Every governor, as was before observed, a priest. Every family, a flock. And if any of them perish through governor's neglect, their blood will God require at their hands. Was a minister to disregard teaching his people publicly and from house to house and to excuse himself by saying that he had enough to do to work out his own salvation with fear and trembling without concerning himself with that of others? Would not anyone be apt to think that such a minister be like the unjust judge, one that neither feared God nor regarded man? And yet odious as such a character would be, it is no worse than the governor of a family deserves, who thinks himself obliged only to save his own soul, without paying any regard to the souls of his households. 
For, as we above hinted, every house is, as it were, a parish, and every master is concerned to secure, as much as it lies in him, the spiritual prosperity of every one under his roof. As any minister, whatever is obliged to look to the spiritual welfare of every individual person under his charge. What presidents, men, who neglect their duty in this particular, can plead for such omissions, I cannot tell. Doubtless, not the example of holy Job, who was so far from imagining that he had no concern as governor of a family with any one's souls but his own, that the scripture acquaints us when the days of his children's feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and he offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job, Job continually nor can we they plead the practice of good old Joshua, who in the text we find as much concern for his household welfare as his own. Nor, lastly, that of Cornelius, who feared God not only himself, but with all his house. And were Christians but the same spirit of Job, Joshua, and the Gentile centurion, they would act as Job, Joshua, and Cornelius did. But alas... If this be the case, and all the governors of families ought not only to serve the Lord themselves, but likewise to see that their respective households do so as well, what will then become of those who not only neglect serving God themselves, but also make it their business to ridicule and scoff at any of their house that do? Who are not content with not entering the kingdom of heaven themselves, but those also that are willing to enter in they hinder? Surely such men are factors for the devil indeed. Surely their damnation slumbers not. For although God, in his good providence, may suffer such stumbling blocks to be put in his children's ways, and suffer their greatest enemies to be those in their own household, for a trial of their sincerity and improvement of their faith, yet we cannot but pronounce a woe against those masters by whom such offenses come. For if those that only take care of their own souls can scarcely be saved, where will such monstrously profane and wicked governors appear? But hoping there are but a few of this unhappy stamp, proceed me now to the second thing proposed, namely, to show after the manner a governor in his household ought to serve the Lord. And the first thing I shall mention in reading the Word of God and the first thing I shall mention is reading the Word of God. This is a duty incumbent on every private person. Search the scriptures, for in them you think that ye have eternal life, is a precept given by our blessed Lord indifferently to all. But much more so sought after every governor of a family to think it in a particular, peculiar manner spoken to himself, because, as hath been already proved, he ought to look upon himself as a prophet, and therefore agreeably to such a character as bound to instruct those under his charge in the knowledge of the word of God. This, we find, was the order God gave his peculiar people of Israel. For thus speaks his representative Moses in Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. These words, that is, the scripture words, which I command thee this day, shall be in the heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, that is, as it generally explains servants as well as children, and shalt talk of them when thou fittest in thy house. For whence we may infer that the only reason why so many neglect to read the words of Scripture 
diligently for their children because the words of scripture are not in their hearts. For if they were out of the abundance of their hearts, their mouths would speak. Besides, servants as well as children are generally very ignorant and mere novices in the laws of God. And how shall they know unless someone teaches them? And what proper to teach them by than the lively oracles of God, which are able to make them wise unto salvation? And who proper to instruct them by these lively oracles than parents, who, as hath been more than once observed, are much more concerned to feed them with spiritual as well as bodily bread? Day by day they do these things. But if these things be so, what a miserable condition are those unhappy governors, and who are so far from feeding those committed to their care with the sincere milk of the word, to the intent that they may grow thereby, that they neither search the scriptures themselves, nor are careful to explain them to others. Such families must be in a happy way indeed to their master's will, who takes such prodigious pains to know it, would one not imagine that they had turned converts to the Church of Rome, that they thought ignorance the mother of devotion, that those were to be condemned as heretics who read their Bibles? And yet how few families are amongst us who do not act after the unseemly manner? But shall I praise them in this? I praise them not, brethren. This thing ought not to be so. Pass we on now to the second means whereby every governor of his household ought to serve the Lord, namely in family prayer. This is the duty through this is the duty, though as much neglected, yet as absolutely necessary as the former. Reading is a good epitaph for prayer, as prayer is an excellent means to render reading effectual, and the reason why every governor of a family should join both these exercises together is plain, because a governor of a family cannot perform his priestly office, which we before observed he is in some degree inverted with without performing this duty of family prayer. We find it therefore remarked when mention is made of Cain and Abel's offering sacrifices that they brought them. But to whom did they bring them? Why, in all probability, to their father, Adam, who as a priest of the family was to offer sacrifice in their names. And so likewise ought every spiritual son of the second Adam who is entrusted with the care of a household to offer up the spiritual sacrifices of supplications and thanksgivings, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ in the presence and name of all who wait upon or meet at his table. Thus we read, our blessed Lord behaved when he tabernacled amongst us, for it is often said that he was alone praying with his twelve disciples, which was then his little family. And he himself has promised a particular blessing to joint supplications. For wherever, says he, two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And again, if two or three agree on anything they shall ask, it shall be given them. And to this, that we are commanded by the apostle to pray always in the manner of supplication, which doubtless includes family prayer, and holy Joshua, when he set up the good resolution in the text that he and his household would serve the Lord, clearly resolved with all to pray with his family, which is one of the best testimonies they could give of their serving him. Besides, there are no families but what have had some common blessing of which they have been a partaker to 
to give thanks for, some common crosses and afflictions which they are to pray against, some common sins which they are bound to lament and bewail. But how this can be done without joining together in one common act of humiliation, supplication, and thanksgiving is difficult to devise. From all which considerations put together, it is evident that family prayer is a great necessary duty, and consequently those governors that neglect it are certainly without excuse. And it is much to be feared, if they live without family prayer, prayer they live without God in this world. And yet, such a hateful character as this is, is to be feared. That was God to send out an angel to destroy us as he did once to destroy the Egyptians, firstborn, and withal give him a commission, as then, to spare no houses, but where they saw blood of the lintel sprinkled on the doorpost. So now, to let no families escape, but those who called upon him in morning and evening prayer. Few would remain unhurt by his avenging sword. Christian shall I turn Christians shall I turn such families or heathens? Doubtless they deserve not the name of Christians, and heathens will surely rise up in judgment against such profane families of this generation. For they had always their household gods, whom they worshipped and whose assistance they frequently invoked. But will not the Lord be avenged on such profane households as these? Will he not pour out his fury upon those that call upon his name, or do not come, who do not call upon his name? But it is time for me to hasten to the third and last means I shall recommend, whereby every governor ought his household to serve the Lord, namely by catechizing and instructing their children and servants, and bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That this, as well as the two former, is a duty incumbent on every governor of a house, appears from the famous economian and or condemnation, commendation God gives of Abraham. I know, says the Most High, that he will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment. And indeed, scarce anything is more frequently pressed upon us in holy writ than this duty of catechizing. Thus says God in a passage before sight, Thou shalt teach these words diligently unto thy children. And parents are commanded in the New Testament to read up their children and in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The holy psalmist acquaints us that one great end why God did so great wonders for his people to the intent when they grew up, they should show their children or servants the same. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the 20th and following verses, God strictly commands his people to instruct their children in the true nature of a ceremonial worship, when they should inquire about it as he supposed they would do in time to come. And if servants and children were to be instructed in the nature of the Jewish rites, much more ought they now to be initiated and grounded the doctrines and the first principles of the gospel of Christ. Not only because it is a revelation which has brought life and immortality to a fuller and clearer light, but also because many seducers are gone abroad into the world who do their utmost endeavor to destroy not only the superstructure, but likewise to sap the very foundation of our most holy religion. Would then the present generation have their posterity be true lovers and honorers of God? Masters and parents must take Solomon's good advice. 
and train up and catechize their respective households in the way wherein they should go. I am aware but of only one objection that can, with any show of reason, be urged against what has been advanced, which is that such a procedure as this will take up too much time and hinder families too long from their worldly business. But it is much to be questioned whether persons that start such an objection are not of the same hypocritical spirit as the traitor Judas, who had indignation against the devout Mary for being so profuse of her ointment and anointing our blessed Lord, and asked why it might not be sold for two hundred pieces and given to the poor. For has God given us so much time to work for ourselves, and shall we not allow some small pittance of it in morning and evening to be devoted to his more immediate worship and service? Have not people read that it is God who gives men power and to get wealth, and therefore that the best way to prosper in the world is to secure his favor? And has it not been our blessed Lord himself that promised that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all outward necessities shall be added unto us? Abraham, no doubt, was a man of great business, as such objectors may be, but yet he would find time to command his household to serve the Lord. Nay, David was a king, and consequently had a great deal of business upon his hands. Yet notwithstanding, he professes that he would walk in the house with a perfect heart. And to instance but one more, holy Joshua was a person certainly engaged very much in temporal affairs. And yet he solemnly declares before all of Israel that as for him and his household, they would serve the Lord. And if persons but redeem their time, as Abraham, David, or Joshua did, they would no longer complain that family duties kept them too long from the business of the world. But my third and last general head, under which I was to offer some motives in order to excite all governors of their respective households to serve the Lord in the manner before recommended, I hope will serve instead of a thousand arguments to prove the weakness and folly of such an objection. And the first motive I shall mention is the duty of gratitude. You are governors of families that you owe to God. Your lot, everyone must confess, is cast into a fair ground. Providence hath given you a goodly heritage above many of your fellow creatures, and therefore, out of a principle of gratitude, you ought to endeavor as much as you, as much as it lies, you ought to endeavor as much as in you lies to make every person of your respective household to call upon him as long as they live, not to mention that the authority with which God has invested you as parents and governors of families is a talent committed to your trust, in which you are bound to improve to your master's honor. In other things we find governors of parents can exercise the lordship over their children and servants readily and frequently enough and say to one go, and he goes, and to another come, and he cometh, and to a third do this, and he doeth it. And shall this power be so often employed for your own affairs, and never exerted in the things of God? Be astonished, O heavens, at this. Thus did faithful Abraham know, God says, that he knew Abraham would command his servants and children after him. Thus did not Joshua know he was resolved not only to walk with God himself, but to improve his authority in making all about him to do so. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let us go and do likewise. But secondly, if gratitude to God will not 
He thinks love and pity to your children should move you with your respective families to serve the Lord. Most people express a great fondness for their children, nay, so great that very often their own lives are wrapped up in those of their offspring. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb, says God by his prophet Isaiah? He speaks of it as a monstrous thing and scarce credible, but the words immediately following affirm it to be possible. Yea, they may forget, and experience also assures that they will. Father and mother may both forsake their children, for what greater degree of forgetfulness can they express towards them than to neglect the improvement of their better part and not bring them up in the knowledge and the fear of God? It is true, indeed, parents seldom forget to provide for their children's bodies, though it is to be feared some men are so far sunk beneath the beasts that perish as to neglect even that. But then, how often do they forget? Or rather, when do they remember to secure the salvation of their immortal souls? But is this their way of expressing their fondness for the fruit of their bodies? Is this best the testimony that they can give of their affection to the darling of their hearts? Then was Delilah fond of Samson when she delivered him up in the hands of the Philistines. Then were those Russians well affected to Daniel when they threw him into the den of lions. But thirdly, if neither gratitude to God nor love and pity to your children will prevail on you, yet let, yet let a principle of common honesty and justice move you to set up the holy resolution in the text. This principle which all men would be thought to act upon Certainly, if any be truly censored for their injustice, none can be more liable to such censor than those who think themselves injured if their servants withdraw themselves from their bodily work, and yet they in return take no care of their inestimable souls. For is it just that is it for is it just that servants should spend their time and strength in their master's service, and masters not at the same time give them what is just and equal for their service? It is true, some may Men may think that they have done enough when they give unto their servants food and raiment, and say, Did I not bargain with thee for this much a year? But if they give them no other reward than this, what, what, do, they less, what do they less for their very beasts? But are not servants better than they? Doubtless they are, and however masters may put off their convictions for the present, they will find a time will come when they shall know they ought to have given them spiritual as well as temporal wages. And the cry of those that have mowed down their fields will enter into the ears of the Lord of hosts. But fourthly, if never gratitude to God, pity to children, nor a principle of common justice to servants are sufficient to balance all objections, yet let the darling, that prevailing motive of self-interest, turn the scale and engage you with your respective households to serve the Lord. This weighs greatly with you in other matters, be then persuaded to let it have due and full influence on you in this. And if it has, if you have but faith as a grain of mustard seed, how can you avoid believing that promoting family religion would be the best means to promote your own temporal as well as eternal welfare? For godliness has the promise of life that now is as well as that which is to come. Besides, you all, doubtless, wish for some honest servants and pious children, and to have them prove otherwise would be a great grief to you, as it was to Elijah to have treacherous Gehazi, or David to be troubled with a rebellious Absalom. But how can it be expected they should learn their duty except those set over them take care to teach it to them? 
is, is it not a responsible, is it not as responsible to expect you should reap where you had sown, or gather where you had not strawed? Did Christianity indeed give any countenance to children and servants to disregard their parents and masters according to the flesh, or represent their duty to them as inconsistent with their entire obedience to their father and master, which is in heaven? There might then be some pretense to neglect instructing in the principles such as religion. But since the precepts of the pure and undefiled religion are all of them holy, just, and good, and the more they are taught their duty to God, the better they will perform their duties to you, methinks then to neglect the improvement of their souls out of a dread of spending too much time in religious duties is acting quite contrary to your own interest as well as your own duty. Fifthly and lastly, if either gratitude, if neither gratitude to God, love to your children, common justice to your servants, nor even the most prevailing motive, self-interest, will excite you, yet let a consideration of the terrors of the Lord persuade you to be put into practice of this pious resolution in the text. Remember the time will come, and that perhaps very shortly, when we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ where we must give a solemn and strict account how we have had our conversation in our respective families in this world, how will you endure to see your children and servants, who ought to be your joy and crown of rejoicing in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, coming out as so many swift witnesses against you, cursing the father that begat them, the womb that bare them, the past which they have sucked, and the day they have entered into your house. Think you not the damnation which men must endure for their own sins will be sufficient, that they need load themselves with the additional guilt of being accessory to the damnation of others? Oh, consider this, all of you that forget to serve the Lord with your respective households, lest he pluck you away and there be none to deliver you. But God forbid, brethren, that any such evil should befall you. No, rather will I hope that you have been in some measure convinced by what has been said of this great importance of family religion. And therefore, are ready to cry out in the words immediately following the text, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord. And again, verse 21, Nay, but we will, with all our several households, serve the Lord. And that there may be always such a heart in you, let me to conclude, exhort all governors of families in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, often to reflect on the inestimable worth of their own souls and the infinite ransom even the precious blood of Jesus Christ, which has been paid down for them. Remember, I beseech you, remember that you are a fallen creature, that you are by nature lost and estranged, and you are, that you are nature lost and estranged to God, and that you can never be restored to your primitive happiness till by being born again of the Holy Ghost, you arrive at the primitive, primitive state of purity, have the image of God reinstamped upon your souls, and thereby made to be and be partakers of the inheritance with the saints in light. Do, I say, but seriously and frequently reflected on, and act as persons that believe such important truths, and that you will no more neglect your family's spiritual welfare than your own. No, the love of God, which will then be shed abroad in your hearts, will constrain you to do your uttermost to preserve them. In the deep sense of God's free grace in Christ, which you will then have, in calling you, will excite you to do your uttermost to save others, especially those of your own household. And though, after all your pious endeavors, some may continue unreformed, 
Yet you have this comfortable reflection to make, that you did what you could to make your family religious. And therefore, may rest assured of sitting down in the kingdom of heaven with Abraham, Joshua, and Cornelius, and all the godly householders, who in their several generations shone forth as so many lights in their respective households upon this earth. Amen. Thank you.